With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese, Dan Lloyd, and Jake Kilshaw. It's another Double Stint at Lamar special. I'm John DeGeese, joined by Daniel Lloyd and Jake Kilshaw after a pretty busy day of off-the-track action here at Circuit de la Sarthe. Um, no on-track action today. We had followed qualifying on Thursday, but a slew of announcements um, highlighted by the confirmation of hypercar regulations. The WEC entry list was released. Um, announcements from Toyota and Aston Martin on their hypercars, plus some last-minute balance of performance uh, adjustments. Guys, it, it was a where do we start? I, I, I don't know where to even begin here after another uh, action-packed day, but I guess the best place is hypercar regs. Um, we were over at the ACO um, press conference this morning where they basically laid out the groundwork, finalized everything for what we've been believing to be in place for the last few weeks. Um, Dan, what were, were there any surprises from your standpoint? I'm breathe. Yeah, it was a, it was a crazy day. Um, it, always interesting to visit the ACO press conference and see what's in store. Usually, we get a big, uh, a major technical regulation update um, as we did last year. This year, the update is is more more a definition on some of the aspects of the formula change from what we saw 12 months ago. Um, I think the biggest point to come out of it not not really a surprise because um, this is something that we we I think we reported on a uh, I think we reported on a couple of weeks ago. Um, the the fact that we'd have hybrid cars competing with non-hybrid cars in the same class uh, under this hypercar rule set uh, in essentially similar to what we have currently in LMP1 um, but they we'd also have a a performance balancing system whereby the cars with hybrid systems would only would have a uh, deployment threshold which I think is a great term they'd only be able to uh, deploy their, their hybrid boost after 120 kilometers per hour in dry conditions that figure yet to be fully laid down for wet conditions um, and, and that's supposed to sort of keep keep things close between the uh, different types of machinery um, other bits of confirmation 750 horsepower that's down from 950 which I think was in the uh, original uh, hypercar detail detailing plan issued at Le Mans 12 months ago but uh, uh, all in all it, it was a relief really to see this um, because it was followed by a couple of announcements from major OEMs that are going to be involved in this uh, in, in this new prototype formula. Yeah and, and Jake you were at the Aston Martin announcement um, not a lot of details revealed we had a few stories in the build-up to this program um, this program's announcement but um, I, I know that um, you had the chance to speak to David King from Aston Martin Racing the president there what did you have to say about their expectations, their plan uh, moving forward with the Valkyrie hypercar? Yeah, yeah. as you said, John, it seems like it was a bit of a last-minute uh, deal to put this hypercar program together for Aston Martin, so the details are fairly thin at the moment. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be hybrid or non-hybrid yet. Um, David King declined to comment even when asked if they decided that internally at the moment. And we also don't know any of the partners who are going to be operating the program or helping out in any particular role. Um, we had a story saying that Multimatic is, 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 is linked to the program, um, but, we, but other than that, we have 
hasn't been any confirmation um, from the Aston Martin side. I'm sure that's going to come in the next couple of months. Uh, the car itself is going to be based on the Valkyrie. As I said, we don't know if it's going to be hybrid or not yet at the moment. Um, we're going to have to considerably detune the Valkyrie road car, which produces somewhere around 1,160 horsepower to get it down to the 750 target. Um, but apart from that, yeah, very, very interesting stuff from Aston Martin. And great to see them stepping up into um, hypercars so early in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll get some further details on this Aston Martin program in the weeks and months to come. It's our understanding this was a real last-minute affair. Um, Andy Palmer, the CEO of Aston Martin, made a comment saying that they were still 50-50 just a few weeks ago and whether they'd be able to commit to this or not. Um, we understand this was a real foundation for the ACO's commitment to retaining the hypercar formula um, for 2020-2021. Um, they had evaluated different options, Plan B, Plan C, um, uh, some sor sort of a, uh, an agreement potentially with IMSA for a DPI um, usage. Also, um, Super GTE, uh, upstage GT cars were discussed as well. Ultimately, the ACO decided to stick with this formula, and um, we're going to have to make it work as it, as it is with two manufacturers, that, that kind of commitment, and more on the horizon, Dan. I think there's some optimism here, speaking to some other um, industry experts, you know, that there could be more beyond what we saw with Aston Martin and Toyota announcing their plans as well. This has been a good weekend, I think, for the WEC because it's gained a lot of traction. Um, certainly other other manufacturers and, and organizations associated with, with top-level racing that would have a vested interest in this have, have expressed interest. I spoke to Hugh Shornak after the press conference. He's the president of Orica, uh, and he said that Orica would would be wanting to partner with with an OEM manufacturer for its effort, but he seemed to to believe that that Orica is pretty much nailed on to do a program it's just a matter of finding the right partner um, so yeah lots lots of interest within the various parties here um, it, it, it's been a tough time for the WEC the last 12 months have been full of speculation full of uncertainty and it's just great to have some clarification and, and to have some uh, teams coming on board with with ambitions of staying in in, in the category and with with these new cars it, it's great to finally see a manifestation of what of this whole process of what we've had in the last year um, but after Aston Martin of course we had Toyota announcing its uh, announcing its program probably the worst kept secret in the paddock the Japanese manufacturer uh, a mainstay in LMP1 continuing in the new category John uh, you, you got some more info on that program yeah, so it's a prototype-based hypercar. There was initially some confusion about that. I, I think, um, you know, speaking to the folks at Toyota over the last few months, they said they would sort of accept either or, but it definitely leaned in the direction of a, a, a prototype built from the ground up. But they're actually going to be developing the, a road car based around that, too, uh, simultaneously. Um, development's ongoing. I think the first track testing is going to be summer of 2020, and that's right at where the prologue will be and the start of the season, I think September 2020. So these manufacturers are going to be right up against it in order to be on the grid um, given the short time frame. But I know that Toyota has been developing this car in the background um, for a few months at least um, based on what the draft regulations had stated for the prototype based hypercar regulations. Um, no other details released. The name of the car hasn't been released, but um, definitely good news from Toyota to uh, extend their WEC commitment. Um, into the hypercar era. We also had um, some other news um, today from the ACO press conference. That was the WEC entry list for the 2019-2020 season.
season, um, which has sort of been billed as an interim year um, for the WEC. We, we expected a reduced field. Um, we did get that, 33 cars for the season, but still more than we expected initially. Um, earlier this week, I, I think, you know, counting some numbers, it was a bit of a struggle to get to 30 cars. We had a last uh, a few couple last-minute entries, um, we believe, past the, the entry deadline of May 21st uh, from the LMP2 ranks. Um, overall, there's eight LMP1 cars, including two Genettas that are set to join the field um, with a Team LNT. Still waiting to hear details on that and how that program will be run. I know Lawrence Tomlinson has been looking for customers. Um, he was hoping to have a customer team, I believe, run those cars. Ultimately, it's ended up with LNT, the de facto works operation um, from the, the Genetta folks. Um, we'll have to see how that develops over the next few weeks and months. Um, also, we have the returning entries from Toyota, Rebellion, and SMP. Um, no by Collis on the entry list. We had a story on Sports Car 365 yesterday about that, reporting that they're planning to do a partial season entry. I think that overall, you know, things could be worse I, I, looking at the entry list in, in LMP1, Dan, wouldn't you agree? 100%. Yeah, we've we've lost two cars with the Dragon Speed BR1 Gibson and the bike collars, as you've as you've just mentioned, John, uh, and they've been effectively replaced number-wise by these two Ginettas. and and I really think that the, the WEC can consider the fact that it's maintained this grid number for the next season as a win. I certainly wasn't too sure at the start of the Super season about how this season would pan out in terms of attracting entries later on. It was a long, drawn-out process. It was, we had to be very patient throughout this season, which still hasn't finished. Um, but certainly the fact that the WEC can keep these two-car teams in LMP1 is a, a crucial thing. I, I mean, without them, the class would effectively be dead, in my opinion. We'd only really have Toyota and a smattering of non-hybrids. But to have these these committed two-car efforts, Rebellion, SMP, and really hopefully Janetta will get two cars out there, uh, they seem optimistic, then, then we're in for a good show. And, and certainly the 2019-20 season isn't looking too bad at all. Um, different numbers in the GTE Pro grids, of course. That's going to be the biggest challenge, I think. Uh, because we've seen we've seen consistency in LMP2, even growth in GTE, Amber GTE Pro, the loss of Ford and BMW. How will that affect the show? How will that affect the series? That's going to be the big question mark going forward. Yeah, and briefly, we have eight L, uh, eight entries in LMP2 and eleven entries in GTE Am. Some notable additions include High Class Racing, United Autosports, Setzilar Racing, all in LMP2, as well as um, Red River Sport making its debut in WEC with the Ferrari and GTE Am, as well as a second. Project One um, Porsche. So some stability and some new and returning efforts there in those two classes. There was a slew of other storylines um, throughout the day here at Lama. Best way I could suggest is just to check out the website, check sportscar365.com for the latest. Um, we had a lot of reaction stories from team principals. Uh, I spoke to Mark Rushbrook from Ford. He ruled out a hypercar program looking more like a potential DPI 2.0 if they get a high voltage hybrid system as they're requesting um, with IMSA. Um, spoke to Scott Atherton, who um, didn't lose out hope for a, a potentially DPI and, and hypercar racing together one day. Um, we'll have to see what happens there. You know, he's sort of been open that, you know, it, it could be a possibility of some kind of um, coexistence in the future. Um, ACO didn't really share exactly those same feelings when I spoke to them, but it's still early days on that. Other storylines include Aston Martin remaining 
committed to GTE, potentially moving its program over to IMSA. We'll have to wait and see. Also, some reaction from Vincent Bumisnell on the balance of performance system the ACO is going to be using in Hypercar, very similar to the autom- automated BOP system we see today in GTE. All those stories on sportscar365.com right now. Well, coming up next, we're going to be dissecting some of the post-qualifying things we didn't get to on Thursday, including some late-breaking BOP changes. This is Sports Car 365's double stint at Le Mans. Hi, I'm Jerome Liekemolen, and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Welcome back. While it was a busy day off the track, we were also catching up with some news from the overnight hours uh, following qualifying on Thursday evening. Dan, I know we had some storylines, some late-breaking news about the um, disqualification of the number 39 Graf Racing Orica that scored Poland LMP2. Anything you could tell us about that? Yeah, so essentially nothing wrong with the lap, nothing wrong with what Tristan Gomendi did. He put the car on pole with the quickest time. Uh, the issue was at the end of the ses- session, Vincent Capillaire, his teammate, um, who was famously involved in the fake Marshall incident that some might remember, uh, ended one of the Toyota's races uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, he, he missed the waybridge. You're supposed to park up at scrutineering, go on the waybridge, do, do all of the scrutineering checks. He didn't do that, so the times from Q3 for the graph car got excluded. They take their best time from the first two sessions so they're now starting 14th in LMP2 TDS Racing's Loic Naval the new pole sitter yeah and other storylines um, Rebellion Racing's changed both of its engines following uh, engine failures on Thursday the number 81 BMW is all set to go after its accident um, in the hands of Nikki Katzberg in Q3 and I think most importantly we had some balance of performance changes. Just moments before we started recording this, uh, Bulletin was issued by the FIA, and sure enough, for the third, I think third or fourth consecutive year, we've gotten some BOP changes to GTE Pro as well as GTE AM. Um, The biggest thing, I think, is Aston Martin losing some turbo boost. Um, That's also been countered by a weight reduction of five kilos for the Aston, but the majority of the GTE Pro field's also gotten that weight reduction, except for the Corvette C7 our uh, two-liter fuel capacity reduction for the Aston as well, and that might play into factor as well when we get into the race day um, in terms of stint lengths. We'll, we'll have to see how, how, how that plays out. Also in GTE AM, we saw the pole-sitting Porsche. Um, that's going to be handed a 10-kilo weight increase. Porsche swept the top three in qualifying, led by the Dempsey Proton uh, racing pair of entries. The Ford GT, meanwhile, entered by Keating Motorsports, gotten a 10-kilo weight break, which is quite a an interesting development as well. Um, Jake, what do you make of some of these changes? Um, I know it's been a last-minute dash again to go get the file, to go get the story written right before as we're trying to head home for an early evening, but um, this is kind of the spirit of Lama, where it's sort of turning into a, a, a balance of performance uh, change situation where we, we have some last-minute adjustments. Yeah, I thought some of those adjustments were quite interesting, actually. I mean, the fact that if you look at the weight, the weight breaks in... Um GT Pro, the fact that the Corvette was the only one that didn't get a break is interesting considering they were probably the slowest car, the slowest manufacturer there in qualifying. So that was a bit of a puzzling one, but I'm sure there's 
uh, there's logic behind the changes that the ACO have made. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it affects the field. Um, Aston Martin, I think, um, could have had a really good run in the race. Uh, maybe this will make a, a difference with their slight um, reduction um, ahead of the race. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully the uh, changes pay off and it uh, balances out the field in both classes. Yeah, I was personally surprised to see some of these changes. I know we were Dan and I were discussing on last night's show that we were seemed pretty happy with the way the BOP was. Um, it was ultra competitive in GTE Pro, five manufacturers in the top five. Um, Porsche seemed to have the edge in GTE Am, but maybe Ferrari wasn't showing everything yet, you know, in, in when it comes to race pace. Um, the Ford was mid-pack, which was better than expected. I know speaking to Ben Keating earlier in the week, he was thinking they could do 356s. They got down to a 353 with Jerome Bleekemolen. Overall, you know, BOP is BOP. Um, let's try to figure out what we'll, what we'll, the race will bring. I'm sure we'll have some reaction to some of these changes in the morning once we get some further clarity. Finally, guys, let's do predictions for the race. A little bit of a rapid-fire movement here. Let's see who we can come up with. LMP1. Who's your pick, Jake? I think it would be foolish not to go for Toyota. Uh, I'm going to go for the number seven car that's on pole. I'll go for the number eight car. What about you, Dan? I was going to be the peacemaker and go for a non-hybrid, but I, I think, it, like Jake said, foolish not to go for a Toyota. I'm going to say number seven. Um, the number eight won last year. They have a great chance of winning the title, and the seven crew come close in many races before. So, um, yeah, why not? I, th I think those guys are, are probably due a Le Mans victory. LMP2, I'm going to go with G-Drive Racing. They won the race in class on track last year. They got disqualified post-race with a refueling advantage. This time, I, I still think they're going to be extremely strong. Joop Van Uert is been a star on the track, is a silver-rated driver all year, making his Le Mans debut. I, I think they're going to be tough to beat. What about you, Dan? No doubt. Uh, I think I think they will be up there, and I think it will be an Orica-based car that, that ends up staying out front at the end. Um, I, I, I've seen the gra that graph car that took pole as a dark horse all race week, and uh, while, while it was quite a surprise for it to, to surge up onto pole, I do think that they're still going to have a great run, a great driver lineup all the way through. Gomendi, Hershey, and Capillaire is, is a really solid crew across the driver category. So um, starting 14th, but starting position doesn't matter in Le Mans. I think they've got a great chance. I'm going to go for the Signatech Alpine car. I mean, that, that, uh, that team knows how to win a race. They know how to do a good performance. They've got a very strong lineup with Lapierre, Negrau, and Thierry. Um, and of course, as we've said, the Oricas seem to have the pace there, and that Alpine, of course, is just a rebadged Orica. So that's my pick for LMP2. All right, Dan, what about GTE Pro? Who knows? I honestly have no idea um, stood here after that BOP change, especially and even more so after the session that we had yesterday. Um, but based on pure form throughout the super season, uh, based on pure pace and based on the fact that they've already wrapped up the manufacturer's title, I'd say Porsche is a solid bet. Le Mans, th this was their ground last year. They staked their claim to the circuit, basically. Um, instead of the 92 defending winning crew, I'm going to go for the 91. We've got Ricard Leitz, Jean-Marie Bruni and Fred Makovicki in that car. A solid lineup, and they've been super in the season so far. So, uh, yeah, uh, they're my pick for GTE Pro. I'm going to go with the 67 Ford. Maybe a bit of a fairy tale finish there for them. Final year of the Ford Factory GT program. Final year, final race for this uh, Multimatic run, Chip Ganassi Racing UK effort. They've been strong all week. I, I think that, you know, it would be, be cool to see a Ford win in their first race and their last race with the GT as a factory effort here at Le Mans. What about you, Jake? 
I'm going to copy Dan and go for one of the Manti Porsches, but I'm going to go for the defending winners, the 92 car of Christensen, Van Four, and uh, Estra. Um, as, as we've said, you know, Porsche are having such a fantastic run in GTE in, in WEC at the moment. Uh, they know how to win a race as well, and that is a really, really solid package. But it could be anyone's, anyone's race. That is such a competitive field. It's, it's fantastic. And with some BOP changes in GTEM as well, that shakes things up a bit. But I'm still going to go with Dempsey Proton Racing. I don't think 10 kilos is going to make a huge difference in this team's charge. Um, I picked the 77 car to go back-to-back -back in, in that class at, at Le Mans. I'd agree with Dempsey Proton. I'm going to go for the 88 car, the Matai Okai Roli car. Um, as you said, John, the, that uh, BOP change probably won't make much of a difference for, for the Porsches, which do seem to have quite a good edge here going 1, 2, 3 and qualifying. Um, but maybe maybe we could get a Ferrari winner. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to be different and go for a Ferrari JMW Motorsport. Seems to have uh, got that car dialed in. Always been near the top in the practice sessions. Fourth in qualifying. Jeff Siegel knows this place like the back of his hand. He's got two debut teammates in Rodrigo Baptista and Wei Lu. But to our North American listeners, uh, they, they will surely know the pace of those guys. Uh, not, not just in, in the top end speed, but also across the board. Wei Lu's got, got some great amp pace there as well. So, uh, yeah, JMW 2017 winners. I think they could do it again. Interesting picks for sure. Well, that's going to do it for us for today on Friday at Lamar. We'll be back to dissect the race post-race and hopefully a, 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 an edition that'll be published on, on Sunday evening or maybe early Monday morning. Depends uh, on the timing of everything. But for Dan, for Jake, I'm John DeGeese signing out from Lamar.